Again, Medical Education Podcast listeners, this is Kevin Eva, the editor-in-chief of the journal. Today, I have the delight of speaking with someone that I met years ago. I won't say how many, but through the Master's of Medical Education program in Bern, Switzerland, I met Jennifer Klassen, who's currently a surgeon at University Hospital in Basel, also working on her PhD through Maastricht University, exceptionally busy clinically at the moment, <laughs> given a variety of things happening in the hospital. So very grateful, Jennifer, that you found the time and looking forward to having a chat with you. Kevin, thank you for having me. It's delightful to speak to you. Thrilled to have a moment. And as you know, what we're getting together to talk about is a paper that you have coming out in the May 2023 issue of Medical Education. For our listeners, the paper is entitled Trainees' Perceptions of Being Allowed to Fail in Clinical Training, a Sense-Making Model. Maybe I'll just start with a broad question, Jennifer, about failure and why you thought it was an interesting topic to explore. I have to start with saying I have a complicated relationship with failure. So as a clinician, I see what failure can in the clinic, what it makes to patients, right? So there is a whole body of literature about what happens to patients regarding medical error, and that I can acknowledge especially as an educator and clinical supervisor, but also as a surgeon myself, that there is a huge learning opportunity coming with failure. So a specific situation happened to me the first time realizing how failure can hurt also us as clinicians, as a young resident knocked on my office door and said he needs a private conversation, which happens not really often as a surgeon or clinical supervisor. So we opened up the conversation and he said that he thought because of his failure, he had killed a patient. So in this moment, I realized what searing him so hurt and almost tearful, what failure can do to us as clinicians, as a colleague of mine, Albert Wu, suggested the term, the second victim, what happens to us too, and not only to patients. So that was the first time I realized what failure can do. I tried everything as a clinical supervisor to lift some of the burden. I can't even tell if I did a good job because we don't have education in handling such situations. And afterwards, I started to think and had engaged conversations with colleagues, peers, and also later my supervisor, Professor Lorelei Lingard, about this topic because I was so intrigued by this area. Later then, I approached a situation in the operation theater where a resident of mine operated on a gallbladder, which isn't standardized procedure for a surgical resident to operate on. But there it happened that I allowed a little bleeding, which wasn't really hurtful for the patient, but a very impressive learning situation for my resident. So we debriefed, we had intensive conversations about the situations. I started to think if other supervisor also might allow failure in a clinical setting where they are confident they can handle the situation and the learning opportunity might overweigh patients' harm or care. So I started to explore how allowing failure as a clinical phenomenon, if it exists and how it works. You've described a great 
tension and a lot of considerations to take into account from the supervisor's perspective. And can easily imagine it's an incredibly difficult decision at any given moment, how much to allow. What do we know or what did we know before you conducted the study about how that feels from the trainee's perspective? You just alluded to how devastating it can be for them. But yeah. was there any research on their perspectives of failure and its value or harm? There is literature about what the emotional consequences of trainee failure are, but also the acknowledgement that it's always hard to say if there is a bad or good learning opportunity, but there are opportunities coming with failure. So we try to harness the power of failure while not harming patients, right? So we have the ethical idea to be a good physician who takes good care of patients. On the other hand, we also have to acknowledge that failure is happening on a daily basis. So we try to explore if failure, if it's happening under clinical supervision, if there is a potential of harness this power. Obviously, it's a potentially emotional topic to approach them with some of these individuals and trying to get a feel for their experience. Just to set the context a little bit for listeners, what type of trainees did you approach for this study and why did you think they were a good group to help you get some insight into that particular issue? The first study was the perception of clinical supervisors, where we individually interviewed clinical supervisors about this phenomenon. So we knew the phenomenon is out there and we predefined this phenomenon. So it was kind of a natural consequence for me after the first study interviewing supervisors to get the perspective of trainees who are obviously involved too. So we recruited at the beginning participants from a range of clinical specialties in different countries, guided by a combined purposeful and also convenient selection strategy. The early interviews, I conducted them with surgical trainees as my surgical training experiences myself. I use that as a rapid building strategy with those participants. And later on in the data setting, we expanded to include other trainees in various training years and also different specialties. Excellent. So I want to elaborate a little bit on the sense-making model notion of your study. First of all, can you explain what sense-making means for anybody who hasn't come across that phrase? But was that a type of model that you were deliberately pursuing or is it something that just came out in your observations and made you realize it was a good way of explaining your data? I guess it came along during the data analysis that we realized, hey, they try to get a sense of those experiences. So based on the data, we developed the sense-making model, how trainees understood those supervised failed events. So what does sense-making even mean? An individual tried to develop a plausible explanation to give a meaning to the experience, which is coming automatically with a failed event. In general, sense-making matters because when individuals commit to the meaning of an experience, it influences also their further actions. What we also saw in that sense-making, and that makes it problematic from a perspective, in the absence of explicit conversations about such phenomena, even other educational strategies, it might be difficult to harness the power that we intend as clinical supervisors because we don't know what happens without getting 
the trainee understand why did we do that and not acknowledging what we did. I kind of just step back one little bit to the trainee's efforts at making sense. So they obviously experienced failure. They knew what it felt like. What was their initial impression, so to speak, when failure was experienced early on? Did they see it as a failing of themselves, of their supervisor, of the system? Did sense making take place even at that early stage? Well, in the first stage, they recognize the failed situation, that they made a mistake, and then they try to understand what was happening because a supervisor was in the room they tried to understand maybe even sometimes unconsciously some of the participants did the first time realize this process during the interview they tried to interpret what the situation was and what can they do with it right the clinical supervisors had different intentions and that was a really important point there are supervisors out there having good intentions, which means they are constructive. They try to provide a good learning opportunity for the training while balancing patient safety and trainee learning. There are other supervisors, what we learned in that study, they are destructive. They try to set you up for failure. They are not supporting you in the situations because they want to, you to fail and you feel about that. And that negative intention influenced the understanding in that sense-making. If they had the feeling it was a good experience or it was a bad experience. And what did it change for them when they perceived the supervisor intention to be Good versus bad, constructive or destructive? Well, they saw the destructive intention as very critical, which is a total normal reaction to such a behavior, right? If they saw the patient wasn't harmed and also they had a good learning experience, they appreciated such a moment. But if they saw, okay, maybe I learned something, but it wasn't a good intention. The supervisor was destructive. He wanted me to show I failed or even I'm a failure, that they were almost devastated about such a supervisor. In a way that led them to learn less than they might have otherwise or led them to engage well, less with further training? How did that impact their ongoing behavior? Well, because we explored qualitative data, it's not possible to say they learned more or less. I guess their perception was more critical about the supervisor behavior using such a strategy with the bad intention in mind. And that's actually all I was asking about was their perceptions of how it made them feel about wanting to continue to try to learn in that context or from that individual. No, I don't think so. What I myself learned or realized once again that my actions, behavior, or sometimes even my mood can influence situation in the clinical environment, especially if I supervise challenging moments for the trainees, if there is no explicit conversation happen. They try to make sense of your behavior, of your actions, sometimes even your body language, right? And even if it's not intentional from us as supervisors, if there is no explicit conversation happening, they go away having a totally different experience that we intended or sometimes even 
don't intend them to experience. And, and that's exactly what I was wondering about is the you know, implications of knowing this. So now that you've increased your knowledge about the degree to which students are engaging in sense making, what is it changing for you as a supervisor? Do you do anything differently now as a result? Well, sometimes not only in the phenomenon of allowing failure in the clinical setting, also in my behavior as a clinical supervisor, realizing there is a sense-making behind the curtain, not obvious for us as clinical supervisors. So I think it's important sometimes to remind yourself that your behavior, actions, et cetera, make an impression on them because you are the role model, the one with the expertise and the experience. And often they look up to you and try to understand why did you do uh, things you did in that context. And that I kind of realized for me that this sense making is relevant. You mentioned the word debriefing much earlier. So there's a lot going on, especially in your operating room when you're working as a surgeon. What stage of your interactions with a student or a case do you try to gain a sense of what they're understanding and you know, offer your own perspective. Do you tend to have a conversation with them before they come into the patient's contact or is it afterwards or during? When are you finding the best time to have a conversation like this with your trainees? Well, I wouldn't say there is a best time for it. A clinical situation is not always the same. The setting is changing. Sometimes you have a more busy environment. So there are different factors playing together and often in a complex context, which is a hospital in itself. So I don't think there is a best time, but there should be time if it's beforehand or afterwards or even during the procedure. But I guess we should talk about such phenomena more explicitly than we obviously do. The silent around in my case, allowing failure in my research is problematic because we know that learning is strengthened by explicit conversations happening between supervisors and trainees. Right. This is a really interesting line of research. And I know, again, that this is one project in a program that's very close to a complete PhD dissertation. So I can see just by the deep breath you took whenever somebody comments on how close it is. Uh, good luck with wrapping that up. And uh, I'm sure I speak for many when I say that I uh, can't wait to see what comes next. It's a very intriguing line of study. Thank you very much. I try my best not to disappoint. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't yet, at least from my perspective. So for listeners who want the details to see how just the opposite of disappointing this study was. It's titled Trainees' Perceptions of Being Allowed to Fail in Clinical Training, a Sense-Making Model, and Jennifer Klassen is the lead author in the May 2023 issue of Medical Education. Thanks for listening. Thank you for having me. <laughs>